Welcome to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Welcome to Life Behind Bars, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about prison roles, and more importantly, prison roles on the right side of the bars. So what we would say is not the prisoner roles, but the actual roles of prison officers, of governors, of the civilian staff, of the civic servants, and everything that goes to make up running a prison. Go on, I thought you were going to jump in. So, anyway, yeah. so, so episode three, we're going to get straight into that. So, Officer G, you were a prison officer for 38 years. You've worked in many different establishments. Yeah, You've yes, worked yeah. in different countries uh, yes, as yeah. a prison officer. Yeah. Um, people might not know, but you worked in Australia. You were one of those guys on the tower with a gun. Uh, well, it's a part-time job, believe it or not, in the sense that, <laughs> even better. quite interestingly, everybody thinks it's not, it's not the American system, which really has separate armed guards to correctional officers. They're completely different services. Whereas in Australia, you were all a prison officer on the ground, and you went up the towers as well. So you did both those roles. So I would come into work, and perhaps the first four hours of our morning, because shifts are always based on eight hours there, I'd do the four hours, I'd have a 20-minute break, and then I'd go up the tower for the second half of my shift. So I did two roles. It was quite strange to be sort of down and involved with prisoners and then walking around a tower with a, with a, with a handful of weapons like pistols and shotguns. And uh, What was that like? Because that's so different to the UK. That obviously, you've never been armed other than a baton in the UK. Cause it's been no, but when I first went there, it was. It, it, it was yeah. quite, quite unusual to end up part of your training. They'd say, right, we're off down the firing range now, of course. And you trained in this, uh, the, um, it was the pump action, Remington pump action shotgun. Yeah. That was mostly for riot problems, of course. Uh, then you trained in gas guns because they used to gas prisoners out on the yards. If they had a riot situation, they used CS gas to control crowds and stuff like that. Uh, and we also had a Smith & Wesson, which was a pistol, only ever up the tower, or when you went on escort. So if you were on an escort, you'd have to go into the armory, collect and sign for your weapon, of course, and then you'd only have one of the, of the two officers would carry the weapon. Whoever was carrying the weapon was never cuffed to the prisoner yeah, for obvious reasons yeah. and always used to walk behind them when they were going anywhere. Your job was to stand up behind just in case. Uh, and then you also had a Remington, uh, a Remington 223, not a Remington, um, I forgot what it's called now, a Ruger 223 um, a rifle up on the towers. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question because people are going to be sat there listening to this going, ask him, ask him, ask him. No, I never used it. Oh. Never. Uh, occasionally I walked around quite nervous because there was a few times uh, when there was suspicion, particularly with one particularly big gangster from Sydney, really, really quite dangerous, powerful gangster that would have been uh, obviously murder and, and gangs and stuff like that and firearms wasn't beyond their ability to use. And there was some fear one night we got a message. They thought they were going to try to come in towards the prison and literally take out the um, tower guards. Okay, so you see. Because it's, it was a big open space there. The guys with the guns, there was, you take out first. Yeah, there was a big yeah. open space outside the prison at the time. There's not now, because I've seen it, I've Googled it and seen it, it's all been built up. But it was a big open space right down to the sea, a place called Long Bay. And uh, so I, I remember that time they said, so you're going up the tower and you're supposed to come out onto the tower every so often. Well, you can imagine coming out and making yourself a lovely silhouette <laughs> sitting on the top with the moons up at full speed. So you could find that was really quite a nervous time because these people are capable of doing that. So, you know, but yeah, it, it, it wow. happens. It's occasional. Well, it's well, occasional. And that's, yeah. that's just the role of a prison officer in Australia. I, I do remember once when there was a bit of a serious thing going on and they found out prisoners were trying to break up onto the roof space. And it wasn't me. I wasn't on the towers, but another tower officer literally came out the tower and he literally let off a few rounds around the roof to get them all back down inside. So as their heads were popping up, he'd ping a few bullets off the top of the roof space and they'd get down. It was to stop them getting onto the roof space. Yeah. Remember, if you think of Manchester, yeah, strange ways, prisoners they were on the roof and yeah. once they're on the roof and no, no other way of restricting that there was chaos took place after that for a number of weeks didn't it but in australia nobody got on the roof <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you think but, officers do you think there should be that model where officers in the uk have like guns on towers um I, i'm not a fan of it i must be honest i i think the prison service in the uk run extremely well without those needs uh, and that's proved by the very very few amount because prisoners did escape from prisons in australia yeah. guns are not um, so I'm not a fan of it. It's not something I would instinctively think it would be a good idea. Uh, I don't. Uh, so even though it wasn't an issue for me when I was there, I just took it for what it was in that country that I was in. And I, I just accepted it. I never thought about it. I just went, okay, you're off on escort, carry the pistol. 
going up on a tower, check the pistols and, and crack on with it. Um, but environments are following their yeah. systems, whereas I guess here, <laughs> asking that question, it's that kind of why, why, yeah. what's the need? It, it's so against our, our uh, the way we think about firearms in this country is, is never historically been that way. I suppose the reality is, if you put from 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 knowing what I know about prisons, from speaking to prison officers, prisoners, and and, and various different members of staff, the actual inside of the prison, having a gun with an officer, is only going to escalate or make more problems than reduce them. Yeah, you you never would. When you were on nights, obviously, you had to have two of you sitting around. There were three of you in the in the gatehouse. Two of you had to take a walk out and patrol. They never put officers on the wings during the night. Yeah. What they did is they used to unlock a door, I'd hand my weapon, because we both had weapons all night in the grounds, hand that over to the officer. He would lock me into the wing, I would walk around the wing just to make sure everything was quiet. No problems, come back down, tap on the door, he'd check it was just me yeah. and not other things going on, open the door, bring me out and hand me back my weapon. But you have to remember, way back in the time when I was there, prisoners had an intercom system which we don't tend to have in this country at all. So they, if they had a problem, because there's no officer on the wing to ring a bell to, they could press the intercom and speak to a member of staff in the gate if they'd got a problem. So there was no- Room service. Uh, well, it, room service in a way, but it's say putting officers on wings, because in modern yeah. prisons, now don't get me wrong, they may be different in Australia now, because suicide prevention in this country has escalated to a point where you need staff on a wing to keep and monitor those kind of things. And that may be true in Australia. Uh, I remember you're talking about nearly 40 years ago now, so they might have had to move on and said, we need to do something different ourselves. But it was always an intercom system and no staff on the wings at night time. That's just the way it was. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's, let's come back to actually staffing prisons now. And obviously there's varying different sizes of prisons, varying different styles, different categories and such. So if we stick with what, what we know very, very well, can be locals uh, around the region, sort of 300, 350 inmates, so kind of 178 cells-ish, chewing up. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's kind of, if take that size jail, because obviously that's going to be slightly different something like Wrexham or, or, yeah. or Birmingham, where you know you've got 2,000, 2,100 kind of yeah. prisoners, they're going to need additional staff and assets. So yeah. when we start, well, it's a ratio, they always work prisons on ratios and security. Yeah. Yeah. Depending, the lower the security of the prison, the bigger the ratio of prisoner staff, prisoner to staff is, in the sense that there are more prisoners than staff, and the higher the security, the higher the ratio staff to prisoners will be. But you remember also in high security prisons, it's mostly single cell accommodation. Yeah. It's lifers, and nearly always single cell accommodation. Uh, and there are other conditions where they be, even um, um, Featherstone, which was a cat sea prison, was built on single cell accommodation and still is well, single all, cell. Well, I think all Victorian prisons were built yeah. on single cell accommodation. It was only beyond the Victorian yeah, No, times even the modern ones. Remember, Featherstone was built in 1977. Guard, um, uh, the high security of prisons like Long and Artin was built in 1974. Uh, um, Feth, um, Guard, was 1960s it was built originally. So they were all single cells, they were designed that way. And he says we've moved away from that slightly because now we've gone back to twin ups or two ups as they call yeah. it. So when you look at places like a brand new prison like um, Wrexham, they've mostly put two people in the cells wherever they can. And I'm not sure whether that's based on cost and or about prisoners risk. Because if you put two people in a cell, basically what you've created there is somebody to look after the other prisoner in a really strange kind of way. If you've got somebody that has got a problem with things like self-harming and or might be looking to harm themselves at some stage, the other person in that cell may be the person that rings that bell and prevents that from happening. So I'm never quite sure, I've got to be honest about whether it's just about economy and or is there a little bit of stuff going on there where the other prisoner may be there. And that may be, that's not the prisoner's responsibility by the way. Don't get me wrong, I'm not assuming that we should do it because we're making a prisoner be responsible, let's but pay, by nature they will be. Let's it's pick it's up. Reducing the risk. Reducing the risk. Alone. And let's the company pick, as well. Let's pick this up in episode six. because You did that in four words and it took me three seconds. I'm just a typical psychologist. Let's pick that up in a future episode so we get off point. Let's, let's talk about the power pyramid, as they say, in a very corporate environment. So at the very top of the jail, we've got our governor. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously above that we're talking about politicians, so on and so forth. But let's let's stay inside the walls. So we've got our governor. Below a governor we have Well, you've got governors at different levels, of course. Yeah. Uh, those governors, depending on the security of the prison. Shall I ask, ask Emma this question so we get it in three words rather than, 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 than three paragraphs? All right. <laughs> you've got a different <laughs> level of governors. Yeah. So we've got basically deputy governors. 
Uh, well, they're called heads of residences now, but yes, you've got deputy governors, yeah. uh, you've also got, then the governor grades have their own ranking system, yeah. down to what you call the very basic level of governor grade. But when the governor's not here, because there always has to be a governor grade on, on effectively around... A duty governor, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so when yeah. the governor's not here, therefore in charge of the jail, it would fall to one of the, the duty governors, one of the deputy governors... Uh, yes, it to, always... ...to, yeah. to, to pick up. Yeah. Then below your governor, your deputy governor levels, you've got what your senior officers, principal officers. Oh no, you're going to uniforms then, because yeah. governors by, by by tradition and history never never are not in uniforms. Okay. So you'll have now what they call a CM, a custody manager. That's an old name for a principal officer. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got supervising officers, which is an old name for senior officers. So, so principal officer then sits below that 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 deputy governor officer. Would that be the same as the chief officer back in? No, the chief day? officer is a lost rank, which was above the principal officer. Oh, okay. So you had a chief officer in charge of all the staff and uniforms, yeah. principals, senior officers. But those terms are not used now. They're, so they're, they're custody go managers, to, supervisors. Just, just Same thing. I think I need a piece of paper to write this down. So we've got a governor, then we've got effectively the deputy governor grades. I appreciate yeah. their different names and different establishments and different yeah. times. And then we've got our principal officers. Uh, yeah, effectively. All yeah. terms, but yes. And then we would go into our supervisors. Supervi then you go down to officer grades. So, so when you get to your supervisors, are they on the landings? No, they are, they are like senior officers. Their job is to supervise the staff, really, yeah. at, a, at, at the face. So a senior officer or a super officer may be in charge of the wing, yeah. so therefore in charge of the staff that are on that wing. Okay. Managing the shift. Managing so would you then have like a supervisor that maybe is in charge of reception? A supervisor yes. is in charge of A wing. Yeah. B wing. Depending so on the size and security of the prison. Kitchens, workshops, yeah. education. Yeah. Okay. There'll always be somebody possibly at what they call supervisor level, but they're supervising mostly the staff around them rather than the prisoners. Uh, prisoners are, are managed by prison officers. Yeah. Uh, then you've got, then you've got see, what we used to call you your senior basic grade officers, so those that have come to the top end of their pay scale, which takes six years these days. It used to take 15 years when I joined to get to the top of your pay scale. The no, pay scale is much smaller now. Yeah. <laughs> you've got, <laughs> I imagine that's the you've got five small about. ones year after year for yeah. the first five years. Then you had to wait till year 12 for what they call a long service increment. And then you had to wait for 15 years to get your final long service increment and, and an extra five days annual leave. That's all changed now. It's all done within six years. Yeah. Um, so you've got sort of those scales, uh, incremental levels for prison officers. So underneath the supervisors, we get to our officers, which are, like you say, they're the day-to-day -day managing prisoners yeah, behavior, prisoners yeah, movement, so. at, at whatever and department then, they're in. I, I guess below the officers, is that where you have your OSGs? Uh, yeah, operational support grades, their, their job basically, um, they, they, they might be managing the gate. Yeah. They're not really what they call prisoner-led, but it's not strictly true. They, they would escort, like if somebody had to come on from outside, yes. like, a, like a, a roofer that had to look at the yeah. lightning. Vehicles moving around the prison, yeah, uh, looking after the gate. But I've known some, uh, in Featherstone, I was more than surprised they put an officer, uh, an OSG, an operational support grade, um, in charge of the education department, and it was quite a big education department. Uh, and I'm not, that's not no reflection on that, that position, but I, in my personal feeling, that should have been a prison officer role and not an operational support grade. Because what you're doing is you're putting them in charge of many prisoners and managing many prisoners without the relative pay rate to go with that job because yeah. you're giving them responsibility without giving them the, the, the position. And that's, I just don't think that's fair. So they are sometimes put upon because they have keys, don't they, OSGs? Uh, they don't have cell keys. No, but they have. But they have, uh, they have keys for gates yeah, to, yeah, to move around the prison. They have to make contact yeah, yeah. from place to place. Yeah, so, so they, but they don't have the same level of training. And I, I've known an OSG, and uh, I, I knew him relatively well. It was a number of years ago now, and I remember listening to him. It was, it was long before I knew any prison officers. I knew this guy. Yeah, and I remember him telling me about like what his job was and the stories and stuff like that. Thankfully, he was in rather a low security prison. Of course, it might be slightly different, but I think about the, the stuff I hear from you and from other officers and such like that, the level of training they've had to go through. The OSGs don't go through anywhere near that. They, they're, they're not going to training schools the same way. They're still giving keys to be able to wander around the jail by themselves effectively. Yes, yeah. But without the same level of training. Yeah. Plus the fact they don't have the same level of legal responsibility that a prison officer. Prison officers, once they join, uh, become what they call, um, you have all the powers of a constable yeah. while you're on duty. Police constable. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, which isn't true for operational support grades. Yeah. They don't have that same authority in the same way. That's really interesting. I wonder if, I, I, because, and, and you, 
just remembered it. I'd actually forgotten that fact, but I remember when you first told me and whether people actually realise that, that when a prison officer is on duty, they have the same... Uh, how is it you put it? They have, they have, well, it's actually set on your, on, on your warrant card that you get. Yeah. You have the powers of the constable, Prisons Act 1953 or 1952, if I remember rightly. <laughs> now, I, I must have been retired for nearly seven, eight years. Yeah, yeah. They may have changed that. I'm not aware that that's been changed. Because when you've got somebody out, outside your prison walls and something goes on, like an attempted escape and somebody tries to help somebody escape, you can then have the power of arrest, which is not the same as a citizen's arrest. There's yeah. a huge difference between the so if you, and, and when we used to have possibility like a risk of escape, you could go outside your prison and you can stop cars on the street. You can actually stop cars to search cars if you think a prisoner's escaped. How are you? But it's under the, it's under the powers of the and it would have been supervised by a governor level. You don't just wander out the street and start stopping cars. <laughs> it's not the same way. It's, it's not like a production company where they're like stop and filming. Yeah, a police officer has all those powers wow. twenty four hours a day. Yeah, yeah. Whereas prison officers only have it while they're on duty. The minute oh. you step through the doors, you're not being paid. But you if have you're, none of those you're on duty but outside of the prison, so for example, if you're Escort, yes, then you still have those. Yeah, you have to because you might have to do something and make a decision based on the security of prisoner escape. So you need to have that higher level of authority to make it stand up in law. That's all. Okay, it's 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 weird, but they may have changed that. I've got to be honest, and maybe people listen to say that's been changed. Show. Please write in and I've looked for it and I can't find the changes, but uh, however, um, but no. We'll ask the guys at Wrexham next time they're the next time they're down. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll have a chat with the guys there and see what, see what they say. Yeah, it may have been no, changed. No, they might have suffered changes. The government, in the way they do things, they probably haven't changed it. Possibly not. Um, old things are left to die quietly and never get taken off the books. It's like some of the old laws about having straw in the back of a taxi yeah, back cab. Back of a cab. Yeah. 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 They still <laughs> exist in law, but they just yeah. never be. So they die on the vine, really, don't they? But yeah. Somebody said there's still a law you can shoot a Welshman on Sunday if he comes over the Welsh Bridge into England, into Shrewsbury. Yeah, you're not allowed to have a gun. No, it's one hour. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the 12th century, there was no guns. <laughs> but apparently, any, any Welshman coming over the Welsh Bridge, you can actually shoot them. I'm going to put this out there right now just because I, I, I just in case, <laughs> do not go shooting Welsh people no, no. on a Sunday on Welsh no, Bridge no, no, with no, no, a bar and no, no. In fact, don't shoot Welsh people at all because you're Welsh. Yes, yes. No. It just goes out and these old laws just lie there and nobody really says, let's get rid of them. Okay, do you know, and, and this, is, this, is, this is one that I, I I think it's quite interesting and, and, and it, I think it's quite important as well. So everything we spoke about to the OSG level, now they're all civil servants. Uh, yes, yeah. OSGs, are they civil servants? Uh, yeah, they're employed employees? by the civil service. But do they become full civil servants in that sense or are they employees? Because, and, and I'll jump slightly to one side, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get into more details of this, but psychology departments who are used to work, you're a civil servant, full civil servant, full benefits and all the conditions that come with it. Yeah. Healthcare used to be exactly the same, yep. education used to be exactly the same, but they've outsourced a lot of that now. Mm. So they're not civil servants any longer, no. they're actually employed by secondary organisations. But with OSGs, would they, I mean, were they secure call guys or were they like... No, 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 they are, they are civil call? servants, they're employed, they're, so they are. But it's usually, that it can be for many of, uh, operational support grades, their first step into becoming a prison officer. Ah, so they okay. can they learn a great deal of things just by being in that like job. being a PCSO effectively uh, to a point. Yes, in a way, and then step into being, and many do sort of step up into being that prison officer rules. And occasionally, as prison officers decide they may want to retire as they get older, or they got, you know, they, they just decide that they can't do anymore. There's nothing stopping them applying to do what they call an operational support grade. Yeah. Many officers sometimes retire. Uh, we yeah, and then come back as operational support. I think Steve did that. Gloucester, yeah. so Steve that uh, used to be a tour guide for us at um, a, a different prison. Um, was a was a was an officer left yeah. for a number of years. He was a teacher for a bit, and then went back to Hawfield in Bristol, but as an OSG. Yes, um, but he wasn't a civil servant any longer. He was working. I, I'm sure he wasn't. I'd have to double check. But anyway. well, the, 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 you've, you've got contractual. Uh, I was going to say, sure slightly was, different. Sure was they take them up on a one day less than a, an annual contract and they're there to escort outside workers that come in like to do um, a building cells building buildings knocking buildings down outside contractors will be taken by what they call on contract operational support grades but their job only lasts for them as is, i think it's one day below one year and maybe i'm pretty sure i'm still right with this if you take them beyond that one year you have to employ them on a full-time basis 
there's a law that says you can take them on a contract and on the day before the one year's up, they can go, thank you very much, your contract's finished. Yeah. Then they leave you off for annual leave or they give you a week off and then they'll call you back and renew that contract for 12 months. Because by the nature of the people that are coming in and out do their work, yeah. when they're finished, you technically don't need that operational support. So in theory, it's to escort a particular job. Yes, so the, I don't think they're actually civil servants in the way we understand, but I'm not sure. Well, let's, let's come back to that. Because I, by I pension schemes, you'd be in a map with the Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's come back to that in a second. We'll go into that in more detail as we, as we, as we move to the, sort of the side roles of prison officers, the less custodial roles, but the like, rehabilitation such that. I think that one of the things that's always been quite interesting to me, and I, maybe, I, maybe I pay too much attention to it, is that civil servant piece. Because when you're a civil servant, you're effectively employed by... The government mm -hmm. that comes with from knowing both of you and from knowing other people that have done it and people that haven't done it but also worked in prisons there's a different level of responsibility i think there's a different level of positioning there is obviously a different level of benefits in being a civil servant and not and i think the official secrets act for example is one of those as a civil servant you will sign official secret as a contractor to a third party you might have a privacy policy or a confidentiality agreement of some sort, just as we might do in a, in a commercial world, but it won't be the Official Secrets Act in the same way. So that's, that's there's, there's, there's numerous things. I think the, the you probably have access to very different information and different levels yeah. of access as well. Well, let's contract your always days won't be running around reading prisoners' records. Let's yeah. hold that just for, let's hold that for a minute. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about the roles inside prisons. You are listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Unlock the past and discover what life was like at Shepton Mallet Prison. Relive the history of past prisoners over the last 400 years. Experience what a Victorian prison cell was like for those incarcerated. See where executions were carried out. Walk the landings and prison wings. You'll hear stories of those who worked and lived behind its high walls. See it, touch it, feel it on a journey of discovery at the nation's oldest prison. Visit ShiptonMalletPrison.com today to find out more. You're listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Welcome back. You're listening to Life Behind Bars. We're on episode three and we're talking all about prison roles on the right side of the bars. So we've talked a little bit about the structure, the power pyramid, as they say, in sort of a corporate world. I hate that word, but but it does shape down like that. Um, and I guess in a prison, it also very much is a authoritarian world. Uh, it's hierarchical. Hierarch thank it, you. It's strictly hierarchical system. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, that, that works. It's very much similar to the military, I would guess. In that I, well, it's based on the military, but not really quite as rigid as the military might be. But it is stripes and ranks. And, yes. Yeah. So, okay, let's step away then from the, the sort of the custodial side in the sense of that operation piece, and let's have a look at all the other bits of a jail they go into running it. So, should we start with psychology? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Talk us through a psycho psych psych psychological psychology department in terms of how that structures, well, certainly in your experience. The, the fair has changed since I've left. Um, so, when I was working for the prison service, it was very much a case if you had your head of psychology and kind of um, charter psychologists that oversaw the psychology team who would be running programs and doing risk assessments. They'd also be doing staff training and different roles like that. Um, since then, though, it's changed. Uh, psychologists don't tend to do anything in programs. You have what are called um, facilitators. So people are brought in and trained to deliver programs. Um, that was multidisciplinary when I was working there, but it would be like a psychologist and an officer um, or who would run the program or a psychologist and then um, assistant psychologist who would be like just new into the department without any experience and just there to do kind of more admin and support and learn. Um, whereas now, yeah, they train, uh, hire people specifically to run the programs, and then the psychologists will do the supervision, the training, and then the risk assessments and more kind of 
Yeah, <laughs> that, that's it, basically. I'm sure there's something else I've been saying. I can't think of it quickly enough. And then Graham will be chatting, we'll be chatting, and then a few minutes later I think of it, I'm like, can I throw it in now? Yeah, no, that's gone. The, the question is, are you saying that they're nearly always outside agencies that step in to do what you call the cognitive skills programs now then? rather than internally employed psychologists and staff to do them? I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure who employs them, but I think so, yes. Yeah. So and would you sure say that's a better way to do it, or would you prefer to see that it's done by the staff, however they come, whether they're psychologists, assistants, prison officers, or other agencies that work in the staff? I, I, I don't know. I know what I think about what I think might be more useful to me, but... Because I, I don't know how it's set up exactly, I'm not sure. I think that it's useful that... People that are working with the prisoners get to know the prisoners um, because then you can get a full picture. Yeah. Um, so in my experience, it was useful to know a prisoner and know more than just those two hours yeah. that you see them. But I guess the facilitators don't do any of the risk assessment side of it. They literally deliver the program okay. and then the psychologists will use that information to then make assessments um, as, uh, along with the other kind of assessments they do in terms of actual need and risk management. Mm. So um, it, I guess it depends on the individual roles, but I do think you need to know the prisoners you're working with and making, doing assessments on. Yeah. I, I've always seen a slight I don't know, disadvantage in a group of people stepping in, doing something and stepping out, yeah. and then literally switching off from that and probably stepping into somebody else's program somewhere else on a continual basis. Whereas when I was part of that COG skills team, or the ETS as they used to be called, I think it's called TSPs now, um, thinking skills programs, I had that permanent connection with the prisoners. Because not only was I delivering these things in the morning, I was going up onto the landings or other places like visits or wherever I was going to work in the prison, and I would still be communicating with those people. So I had the chance to observe sometimes the things that we've gone through when prisoners are asked to go out. It's not homework as such, but you'd ask them to go out and think about how they might manage something in a different way up on the landing, particularly dealing with things like anger management. I had that chance not only to be able to observe that behaviour, but also be able to perhaps go along and nudge it along it, in a real world rather than just walking away. It feeds the other way as well in terms of when you're in group being able to challenge things that are being said and being seen yes. and things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly where the facilitator's role begins and ends. That use, information is definitely useful in terms yeah. of the psychology point of view. I guess as long as you have all of that information from those different departments, we would always go around and talk to officers yes. and we would talk yeah. to their... Um, yeah. What's it called? You, like in nurseries, you have your key worker. What was well, it? they used to call them personnel officers. Personal, personal officers. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. They, they change um, the names all the time. We would go and talk to people. Like we yes. talked to the different departments that they were in. To but you were also working in the picture. prison full time too. Yes. Which means you still had a connection. I'm talking about people that step now. in from the outside and then step back out. And unless there's huge communication when they come back in to what's happened within that prison environment to be able to look at that group and say, okay, then right, we need to address something here. Because people really don't come and volunteer. As well as those, as those um, facilitators that come in and run the programmes, I don't know how the psychology department are employed now either, whether they're still yeah. civil servants or whether they're kind of um, an umbrella that are then yeah. brought in to deliver that. Because yeah, one of the differences to point out is that when you're, the, the prisons that, that, that you guys are talking about here, are relatively small prisons in the sense of, you know, we're talking yeah. about sort of a maximum of 350 inmates, so therefore staffing-wise, you're probably talking somewhere in the region of maybe, what, 105, 110 uh, staff? Uh, uh, sort of depends who you talk to, about civilians and everybody. Well, I'm talking about all the staff. Oh, you're probably looking at very nearly an equal amount of staff would work in a prison to the amount of prisoners you've got. Oh, so you, Wouldn't so be unusual to employ 300 people in here. Yeah, so therefore, well, what you're talking about is actually not a massive workforce, but if you multiply that to 2,100 prisoners mm -hmm. in somewhere like... Berwin or something yeah. like that, then suddenly you're probably talking about 1,500 staff. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a very different position for a psychologist to be able to, because when you were in prison, I'm sure that you probably recognised most of the officers and knew most of their names and could have conversations with 1,500 staff. That's not Beyond communicating with the individual staff, I think, personally, in my own opinion, I think when you get to those number of prisoners and ratios, I think it's really difficult to gather decent information anyway because yeah. how can the staff know all those prisoners but they right? do it in schools but That's they exactly don't how schools work but right? they don't necessarily know the individual children do they they don't 
Well, the teachers will know the individual Well, I would have thought teachers, what they do is they have a year group, don't they? So yeah. you're going to have a teacher say, I get the same 30 children every day for this lesson. Yeah. And then, uh, then your history, your English, your maths, and then I'll see them again in two because days' time. With the psychologist role, in the sense if you have the same 30 prisoners in group, for example, I don't know why I did that, in the same 30 prisoners in group, that you will see every group session for that yeah. same time every week but, for a period but, but that of But that teacher doesn't come in and teach a lesson and then go home and come back. They're still in the environment, so they still see the children at playtime and at mealtimes and around about all those times, so the connection yeah, no, no, is still there. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but that's exactly the same in... in I wasn't necessarily... Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying, whereas the, psych the teacher might go off and then see those kids again somewhere else, well, whereas the psychologist will go back off to their department, yeah, sit down, drink their tea and their coffee. No, and I'm, not, I'm the not talking about the psychologist here, yeah. I'm talking about across the board. I'm across, not talking yeah. about... Because the psychologist can gather information from the people that are yeah. working with the prison. Prisoners, that's not a problem. But if the people that are working with the prisoners don't necessarily know them very well because there's too much um, yeah. turnover in terms of prisoners, staff, and yeah. the sheer number, maybe. then the I information can, that they're not I can tell you from there's a difference. It's about the turnover because in a school you start and you're there for five years. Your sentence is. <laughs> Your sentence in school is five years, for example, whereas actually your prison sentence might be five months. Or five years, or and even if it's five years, you can be moved. Yeah, I was going to say to, to pick up the point that Emma said about information. You're quite right, but I can guarantee you, in my experience, right, one of the things that officers probably struggle with the most is when they're being asked to deliver quite detailed reports on something that you need to know to write a report, because the officer. I ain't got time to sit down. There's no time built in for an officer to sit and spend an hour to write a reasonably detailed report about that prisoner's attitude, behaviour, improvements, non-improvements to pass to you. They're too busy. They just don't have that time. So the system really is, it's not working properly. So when you create things like a personal officer, that was meant to say that me, I've got 10 or 15 prisoners that would belong to me in that sense that they were part of them and I was meant to make those connections. But that's not possible to do in a prison system. There's never enough staff, there's never enough time. So you tend not to. So when you come to me and go, could you write me a bit of a report upgrade by email, whatever, and I'll be going, yeah, okay. And then you'll be asking me a week later and a week later, and then sometimes, <laughs> am I right to wrong? It was frustrating trying to get information. Yeah, and, and I'm going to be absolutely honest here. Officers generally are not trained to write those kind of what you call um, reports that are based on your uh, what you see and what you know. Rather, we do well, reports based on facts. Something, something that used to frustrate me as well, so about to yeah. the second, is... Oh, I will. I will really ask the question. With things like that, obviously it's, the system's changed in terms of my role, so I don't know exactly how that works now, but one of the things that we used to find frustrating when we would go to speak to different departments, it wasn't just officers, it was the educational department or works departments and stuff like that. They're not obviously trained in risk in, in, in risk assessment. However, we would try and deliver... We did delivered state staff training whilst I yes. was there, where we would try and teach people yeah. what sorts of things to look out for and why it was important to us. And the amount of people that would just dismiss that and be like, well, that's not my job, I'm in here to teach. It's like, well, yeah, but you're not, because you're here to teach prisoners. And part of their sentence is proving that yes. they are safe in the community. Yeah. So therefore, your role has to incorporate that level of thinking. But people would dismiss it and be like, yeah. nah, and yes, yeah. time. I haven't got time or so I can't be bothered, I don't two, know what two, to do. There's two things there, let's try and pick them up individually. One is that, from what I, from what I understand there, and this won't be everybody, so it's not a sweeping statement, there are definitely people that work in prisons that really don't care about rehabilitation. And if you watched, if you, if you watched or listened to um, episode two, uh, sorry, episode one, where we talked about prisons and why we have them, we talked a lot about rehabilitation. So there's people that are actually working here, managing prisoners, whether it's behavior, whether it's their education, whatever it might be, specifically if it's in education or in psychology, that is surely the two key pieces of rehabilitation, the two larger pieces. And therefore, you know, there might be people working in those roles that don't actually really care about that. So it's not going to affect my, my, my real question. That's true in any job, though, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. but the, the, it, it is. The difference is, I guess, depending on what jobs you're doing, is that we have prisons for a very, very specific reason. Whereas, you know, it might be the same schools, but other jobs that you might have, let's say, for example, I'm trying to find a good example in my head, but 
you know, if, if, you're, if, if you work in a supermarket and you stack the shelves, and you're not really that bothered whether the label of baked beans faces the front or faces the back, because you just don't care. Now, it should face the front because people see it and they recognize there's two reasons why. One is because the companies spend millions, Heinz, Heinz sponsorship, um, Heinz spend millions of pounds on marketing. So they want their brand, the best right front in. facing, right yeah. in your face. You and right see. in the proper shelf. Exactly. And at the right eye level and stuff like that. So that's what they pay for in the supermarkets, and that's the deals that they do. So if you then have a member of staff that just doesn't put it right because they don't care, the knock-on effect eventually might be that Heinz sell less beans, mm -hmm. therefore they charge more to the supermarket, they pull the contract, or more likely the supermarket goes, well, we don't sell a lot of that. So we'll move that and we'll put something else in. Now, it might not be because of the product or anything like that, it's because one person hasn't seen. Can't be bothered. Yeah, because they don't care for whatever reason. Now, that all comes back down to culture and training. So when we bring that back to the prison service and we look at this power pyramid, where is it that this falls down? Because somewhere in this world, in this big triangular world, somewhere the culture and the training has fallen down and you've just both alluded to exactly the problems from both ends. You don't necessarily get the reports. Officers don't necessarily have the time for the reports or education don't have the time for the reports, but you don't get the reports because at the end of the day, it's the psychologists that make the recommendations to the parole board for release or for changing of sentences, for example, or for lower categorization of prisoners. It's the psychologists that have a, not control, but they have an influence to be able to say, this person should do that. If they're not getting the information through, that prisoner potentially is not getting the opportunity they should get because somebody somewhere can't be bothered. But where's that going? Who is that person responsible for that? Well, you'd like to think that you'd say that it must be a government's responsibility because they're in charge of the whole, the whole ethics they, and they, style they of the prison. They don't run the prison, though. No, they don't, but they can, set, they can set the conditions for training, they can get it for recruitment. No, the governor can do that. They, 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 the governor can push that in the same way as I would have thought their headmaster can push back. Because the government set policy, they set law, yeah. they set a budget. But... And in the olden days, we know that obviously prisons used to work in the sense that the government was given a budget to run the prison. There's 10,000 pounds, run your prison. Yeah. If you don't spend it, you're still going to get it. And the government will be like, cool, we're going to spend 8,000. Right. Do you think that world's changed if you don't spend long, it? Long, take it off, long you know? time ago, yeah. yeah. So we're talking Georgia prison times. But now you still have a budget, as you say. If you yeah. don't spend it, they take it off you. Now, somewhere in this, this hierarchy must have the ability for someone to go, this, this bit's broken. This is how we fix it. Well, communication is, is the art of everything at the end of the day, isn't it? The trouble with many professions inside the prison service and out, we tend to decompartmentalize skills. So what we'll say is you've got that group are educational, and your job is education. Yeah. And it's either English, maths, or cooking. That's what you do. Yeah. And there you go, psychologist. That's your part there. Yeah. And then you go to the healthcare. That's what you're responsible for. And then prison officers respond for that, and OSGs respond for that. Yeah. And outside it, that's all you're going to do. The danger with that is, I always think, when you split your skills right down, that's where your communication, if it's not absolutely brilliant and resourced properly, will fall apart with a weak link very, very quickly. I've always been a massive, massive fan of multi-skilling people. So when you multi-skill people, even if they don't actually get involved with the piece of work you do, they all have an understanding of why it is there and the importance of why it's there in the first place. But that's not multi-skilling, that's cultural. That's, that's a dip, well, two different things. But, but even to a point, remember, I was multi-skilled because I ended up doing cognitive skills programs which yeah. are based on psychology. Oh, absolutely. And I thought it was wonderful. It gave me skills that I never knew I had before. Yeah. Not just in that room, but up there on those landings. But I think, uh, you know? I mean, but there was elements of trying to improve that, which is why we created and then tried to train different departments in terms of what information we wanted, just so that we could improve the communication side of it. Because their role isn't... The same as ours. Their role was to teach English or maths yeah. or whatever subject yeah. they were there. They're, remember, teachers are employed at private level. They are. They're not employed. They're, they're, you know, it's either a college. I think Manchester College was took a great big chunk of yeah, the country. Yeah, which makes sense. So they pay them private people to come in and do that job. I mean, which does make sense to a point because the prison service do not have a training program to train teachers. There yeah. are training programs so exactly in other words. Yeah. So you bring so them in. Exactly yeah. we, we had a situation but, once. We well, were doing a review, and the person from the education was asked to sit on the review, and they refused point blank on the grounds it wasn't part of their contract. Their contract is with Manchester College, yeah. and it doesn't say that in the college. That I have to sit on your reviews, so I'm going to. Yeah. Um, so, 
yeah. I think there was elements, and obviously things may well have changed in, as well, in, because the role of the psychologist has changed since I've worked for the prisons. Yeah, but prison, so therefore, pr prisons, I think we would probably agree loosely, are getting worse. We're, we're locking more people up for longer for you know, various issues of crime. Then, pr prisons, I don't think we're saying it, are getting better. No, I wasn't no. saying that prisons were getting better. I was just saying in terms of what the, the psychologist needs in terms of their yeah. role, I don't know where that sits at the moment. But what I mean is the um, change that we're talking about is not improving prisons. And, and I, when I come back to it, I know I bring it back to different businesses because it's how my way, brain works, but when we talk about multi-skilled people, and I'm all for multi-skilled, I think the more people are multi-skilled, absolutely the better because you understand different roles. The reality is, as you scale any organization, any structure, and the prison service is on scale, it's a big, big scale. When you talk about it countrywide, nationally, it's a huge employer, a lot. I mean, talk about a jail with prison officers, it might have 150 prison officers. You talk about prison officers around the country, you're into tens of thousands. Yeah, uh, when you when, And you're going to do the same with the other departments. If you take a massive company, something like Apple, I've got my Mac here, you're going to have people that just specialize in just one piece of software or just in processors or just in that tiny little piece of the chip or just in, there's people that specialize just in how, like, the colouring of it, the shaping of it, the styling of it, how the keys are, how they click, do they make sound, do they not make sound, the lighting behind it, every single little aspect. So you'll have huge teams and eventually they'll all go up and there'll be different department heads that communicate, but the one thing that Apple, I believe, tend to get right is the culture and the belief and the understanding that mission, that single vision and mission yeah. of what we're trying to do. And the prison service doesn't have that. And that's why I think... But, it, but in Apple, I'd say in Apple that, that, that absolutely wonderful person that's doing that work will not be sitting there in isolation going, this is my secret and you pay for it. They will be helping the others to learn those secrets because Apple quite rightly go, we need to move on. Yeah, it's, it's a culture. We recognise that person yeah. might leave. Yeah, and we don't want to. So, yeah. so that's the culture about sharing information, sharing skills and sharing yeah. talent. And that's not easy but to do. You would be exactly the same because I would say, and I, I know you obviously did it for varying reasons, but when they closed the, the prison you worked at in Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury um, when they closed the prison, I know you went part time at another jail, mm. but that's a huge loss for the prison service. But nobody will have seen that. No. But that's a massive loss for the prison service. It was my game because when, when you came to work to, for me in the prison, you developed an amazing prison tour that we still use seven years down the line. We you know, taught many, many other people to deliver it. So it's an amazing tour. So that was the prison, prison's loss, but they didn't recognize that. And that's what I'm saying is we talked in episode one about rehabilitation because ultimately prisons have, you know, we came back down to four key reasons. I know there's more. We talked about prevention, so that's fine. We lock them up. Talked about deterrence, yeah. that doesn't really work. Yeah. We talked about punishment, so we get that in terms of being removed. But the key one was rehabilitation. And currently the entire system seems to be broken and there's not rehabilitation. But actually I question whether it's a huge break or whether it's just somebody probably very much at the top trouble with governance here, um, but somebody very much at the top that is just not ensuring that the culture and the mission and the vision of what we're trying to do in prisons isn't being pushed. I'm trying to establish, is, is that governors or is that government or is it someone like I was going to say, I think that, that that question there is what I was going to ask pretty much in the sense that I beat you the, the, <laughs> the culture of the criminal justice system, the approach, yeah. it changes all the time. The government, yeah. the, the government only ever looking at like future elections so therefore they're not looking at long-term solutions that can really improve things for the people because uh, yeah. they're more worried about keeping their seats and keeping might <laughs> be very sweeping statement there but governors and all prisoners have to follow the rules and regulations that are laid down in parliament I, that. I do you? think there's a place for someone within the prison service however to be going actually you know, this is the culture that we want to have here and this is the attitude that we want the people that so are working in this establishment that's what Norway, Norway must because have done something similar well, to that. They must have gone. One of the problems in the prison service generally is that people forget they're highly complex places. We make assumptions that people come in and this happens to them and they go behind doors and then they come up and they do that and whatever. They're really highly complex places all the time. And the trouble is, when you hand this job to the prison's minister, it's such a difficult job to manage, it's like the poison chalice to them. So there's a danger they may take the easy route, and that's being a populist minister, about punishment, 
prison works. John Howard said this years ago, way back in the 90, late 80s, early 90s, prison works, and it didn't. Yeah. Because they locked up from 40,000 up to 60,000 very quickly. And then they brought out another law in 1992 to get prisoners out much earlier because they said, we got too many prisoners in jail. And they brought it back down to 40,000. But because they changed the sentence in a certain way, it resulted in far more of them coming back, a lot more often because of the way they operated the license system that went behind it. And then we pushed our way right up to 85,000 prisoners. Dropped the bit in COVID for obvious reasons. Yeah. Now we're climbing back up again. The government have already made provisions for 98,000 prisoners yeah, by the end of 2026. Yeah. But we're moving away from the subject about who works in prisons. Well, we are. And, and we, we've come on to the yeah. Let me just ask you this very quickly, because I think that, that there are people that, and you've just absolutely said it, that influence and have direct influence and direct responsibility for how prisoners run. But we're not talking about those guys. But, but I'm going to ask you this question. Is the civil servants above, outside of the walls, that work in the prison service in the MOJ, but they work outside the wall, so therefore they're in Parliament, they're making decisions, they're saying to the ministers, this is what we should be doing, they're the ones that provide the advice, the guidance, the lines, the, 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 the MP is effectively the person that puts it out there and says, this is what we're going to do, takes the flag and takes the correct. How many times have you two in your careers seen either the Minister of Prisons or the civil servants that sit below them, but outside the walls, come in, and speak with staff, or speak with prisoners, or inspect it, or wander around and look it, at it. It happens. See that data. It happens occasionally. One of the problems with ministers, they don't do what you call unannounced visits very but, often. If I ask you of your career, so when they when they always announce a visit, yeah. the trouble with that is that the prison then, believe it or not, they start setting about yeah, making no, no, the prison no, look really yeah, presentable. Of course, of course, I'm not talking about. What I'm saying is. If you think back over the last decade that you were a prison officer, and if you think back over the time you were in, in, in prison second row, how many times can you recall those visits happening? I can't remember any minister walking around this jail in 25 years. There have been other people. Can, around. I don't, I don't, can, can you remember? I can't remember any, no. Right. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going to interrupt. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, Something I'm gonna, wants to was I'm going to jump in there because I think that is the crux of it that you can't remember in 25 years. It does happen, but it may not happen. All the time. But it, yeah, and you can't remember in, in, in the years that you spent in jail, which I know is shorter than 25 years. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the problem. Well, we're going to take a very quick break and then we will come right back and we'll get straight back into that. And also, I've got a brilliant question I want to ask you, and I promise it's not closed, so we'll take a quick break. I just want to back. Hold on. You've got to wait for us to come back. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. You are listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50 Mill Media. Welcome to Shrewsbury Prison, Shropshire's number one tourist destination. Step behind the gates of this 200-year-old prison and discover an unknown world. Heritage tours run by ex-officers, where you can see the cells, walk the landings, see and touch the history. But there's so much more going on. Experience one of our brilliant activities or take part in our world-renowned events. From escape rooms to axe throwing, overnight sleepovers to prison break, we do it all. And there's something for all the family, with activities starting from eight years, events from 12 years, and heritage tours for all ages. Visit our restaurant and experience food behind bars. There really is so much to see, do and discover on a day out at Shrewsbury Prison. Visit us at www.shrewsburyprison.com You're listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50 Mill Media. Welcome back. You're listening to Life Behind Bars. We're in episode three. We're talking about the roles of uh, roles within the prison on the right side of the bars. We've got a little bit kind of off point into kind of where prison's gone wrong, but I think it's quite an important place. And, and you were just saying in the break that we had, we, <laughs> I, I don't remember the minister, but we had the director general who in charge of the prison service underneath the minister. And we've had uh, one of them particularly come in, I remember it for many years ago. I won't even name the person, but it was quite a long time ago. But he came in and I thought, that's good, but he's coming to have a look around. But basically he came in and sat down and what he was trying to say to us was, you need to do this, that and that, because if you don't, we'll close you down or privatise you. 
So that was great for motivation, wasn't it? Rather than coming and going, guys, I think you're doing a really, really wonderful job here, and my job is to support that the best way I can. That's not what he said. He said, this is what's going to happen. We need to make changes, because if you don't, we'll close you down and or we'll privatise you. I think yeah. it often feels that, and this isn't just about prison stuff, I think this goes much broader than that, the, the, the people high up within the government that have an influence over what's going on, yeah. it often feels like they don't actually know what it's like in real life. On that ground level, what, what's actually needed, no, what actually you, would work. You could say that for every ministerial department. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's across yeah. the board coming out of prisons. And the trouble with that is that then rubs off on the general population as well. What's the point? Like, And with things like the prison service bringing us back into the roles, if someone's job is to teach a particular subject, um, there's nothing about what they're, you know, their attitude towards criminal justice is about. Whereas if we had a more ingrained culture in the country in general about rehabilitation, Fiction. about yeah. um, how that should work and about supporting change, then that would come across in the communication between departments within the prison service as it would in any other company because people would be working together rather than this constant segmented kind of approach because culture in in the country in general is so divided that people aren't working towards one vision and if you're not working towards one vision then oh, you're always going to have spin, yeah you spear off and it is it, you it, don't, you i think we're going to discuss it at a later series about how we in other countries manage and that will be yeah. based on their cultures of course but so that would be quite interesting to look at that. I'd like to say something too. We've been talking about different people, in, and I'm going to mention it and, and give a shout out to them. I think it's really fair that they do. Uh, administration staff that work inside prison. Yeah. We tend to forget them and we see them as not part of the process because they're not prisoner led at all. Yet without them, a prison would probably collapse very, very quickly. Somebody has to do sense calculations. When you do things like sense, sense calculations, calcul when a prisoner comes to jail oh, with sense, sense calculations, calculation. okay. there's a process they go through because they're automatically entitled to this and that and that bit, depending on the sentence they've been given. Yeah. Somebody has to calculate all that. There's so many people that have to set up all the phone numbers on the phone system that prisoners can actually make. Somebody has to censor all the mail and deal with any cash that's coming in. Somebody has to deal with all the escorts that are set up around the place and prisoners moving from A to B. Used to be done very much by prison officers, but that's become an administration job. Because remember, these things are happening all the time. People are going to court, people are going to hospitals, people are going out, uh, people are well, being transferred. There's still a lot of lives and things that are happening yeah. every day. Yeah. There's staff that have to deal with, does a prisoner go out, are they homeless? Who sets up the, the, all the money that a prisoner goes out with has to be dealt with by the admin staff to get it all ready every day, all the time. Are they entitled to what they call discharge grant? Because some prisoners are entitled to a discharge grant. Are they going out to a halfway house? Who has communicated this information between these groups? Outside probation, sometimes have permanent probation staff inside. And then there's people coming in to do the work, um, like the, what they call job seekers. They, we used to have somebody permanent here helping prisoners how to look for jobs before they stepped outside the door. But they're actually employed by the Department of Work and Pensions, or whoever yeah. does that employment, yeah, yeah, yeah. work and pension, rather than the prison service. So I think sometimes there's all, and there's all kinds of outside agencies that step through these doors every day, who all have a valuable place to part. It's really a big machine, and every one of us is a relatively tiny cog in a very big chain. Yeah, because you break have, one cog, you break the wheel. Because you have your own internal HR as well, don't you? Your own internal yeah, yeah. pay, human resources. So, yeah. so all of that's done individually for mm -hmm. each prison, as opposed to going to one massive. Uh, well, pay no pay options. systems are run at a national level now. Okay. The, the football they are for us. I can't but talk I about civilians, but. You know. I think that, oh yeah, I don't know about civilians, but I think it's automatic. There, there, there would be people that you could approach in sight, but yeah. they would have, they would be the link between you and a central yes. team. Yes. Um, but even the training of staff, there's, there's the, there's all the administration for the staff as well. Yeah. In terms of people organising hotels, travel, training, cars, yeah. and everything to make yeah. sure that people yeah. are in a position to do their job as well. Yeah, going into the training schools, come out with the training schools, who, who orders all the uniforms that you wear, and that may not be done within the prison, because it's automatic for prison officers with uniforms, you're entitled to so many per year. Yeah. And then it, every fourth year you're entitled to a, a 
big woolly jumper or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not as, not as woolly as, as, as it used to be. But all that has to be dealt with by somebody. It's all got to be delivered and come out and set. And then you've got the drivers that bring in. And it's really, really quite so a we, concept. So we've, so we've, 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 you've also got the um, actual getting people started. Because that whole process of signing National Secrets Act, making sure that yeah. secure, the security checks... Yeah, the injunction. Yes. And I think it was probably five weeks, six weeks ago. I don't know. It was quite a long time between you've got the job and actually being able to walk through the doors and be given a set of keys. Did you, by the time you get, did you get paid in between that time? Five so weeks if you've got the job, your start date is... If you've got the start date, your start date isn't necessarily walking through the door, is it? If you've got 50 or 60,000 people that work within the prison walls themselves as admin staff and all the other jobs that go on, including prison officers and all that, you've probably got an equal number that work outside the doors based in administration throughout the civil service yeah. as we get back to the top. And as I say, yeah. there's the, the, within psychology, I don't, I don't know who employs them, to be fair, but you've also got kind of the research side of it as well, that yeah. development in terms of programmes and risk assessments. Yeah. And, yeah. and it all so feeds through. And that can be the same for other departments, because yeah. there's obviously healthcare and... Um, Somebody has to maintain the computer systems that are used. I'm coming on to it because again, carrots you just picked up, which is which is the, the the drugs team, but those would also potentially or or it might have another role and and do that as a as an additional role, separate role. What's that? Carrots. Uh, carrots are normally well in Shrewsbury, they were outside agencies coming in specifically to do that piece of work. Yeah, and they might so be two, carrots, two or three days a week. Carrots are for people unaware are yeah. Sorry, carrots are for people that aren't aware. Carrots. Is it, it was the about support around <laughs> you know, I can't remember what it stands for. Is it care and resettlement and treatment something? Or am I just completely wrong? I can't remember what it stood for, but it was around alcohol and drugs support. But over the years, they changed because they involved prison officers a lot more in what you call those outside work. They did make an effort because initially they started what they called the SWIP officer, shared working in prisons, and they linked up with probation. So the officers on the inside were meant to work in tandem with the probation staff outside and inside, looking at how we deal with prisoners and getting them ready for release rather than just being... Whole ready. systems were put in place when I was there yeah, in terms of improving that communication ready for release as well, yeah. so that... Everybody had to access to the same database, so the information didn't work. It's counselling, assessment, referral, advice, and through care. I was close. I could remember counselling. That was the only yeah. word. Yeah. I and was right. <laughs> so let me come back to our actual point, which yeah. was um, uh, prison roles. So we've spoken about governors. We've spoken about the uniform grades and then the uniform roles. And I know we've only touched that. We haven't delved into anything really in terms of what an officer does. All these individuals do. We're just talking very much high level at the moment. And Maybe down the line we'll delve into some of this in a bit more detail. That's what people want to listen to and hear. Um, we've talked about psychology departments. We've talked about a little bit about education, but really, again, we've just touched on it. You've picked up on the admin staff. We've spoken about a little bit about politicians. We've probably given them far too much time. Um, and, and the civil servants outside the walls. We've spoken about... Um, some of the non-uniform staff you're talking about it and obviously those systems that have to work in the firewall process oh my god um we talked a very tiny little bit about healthcare maybe we should just touch on that well one thing we didn't talk about so far is the works department mm. yeah absolutely now that's changed too because when i joined the service works department uh, in as much that those that go around maintaining the prison buildings yeah. we used to be known as trade officers and technically you couldn't get a job unless you've got a, an apprenticeship, a skill, a proper skill. So you'd be coming and you've got your plumbers and your electricians and you've got your, your chippies, your woodworkers, uh, and you used to have your kitchen staff member, these are classified as works officers, running the kitchens. They were all prison officers. Even though they were trades officers and used to wear the old brown jumpsuit as it was, they were still prison officers. Then that changed later on and they stopped being trade officers and they're mostly civilian staff now. Yeah. So they civilianised all that. They still do the same piece of importance. Same work. people that work in the gym, they're personal trainers, yeah. gym instructors. Yes, yeah. but they're prison, with gyms are prison officers where they can be called in to work on landings and go to riots. Trades officers are not trade. Civilian trade officers these days will not be called to riots because they don't have that... That, that power and authority to do that. They're not prison officers, but they still do just as equally important work. Uh, and yeah, that the, the, they maintain buildings, particularly in old buildings like this, which takes a huge amount of ongoing um, thing. I remember when we put the toilets in this prison and we kept the prison open while we were doing it, we just literally emptied two columns on the wing and that reduced our numbers by 16 and they just punched the holes. You imagine the noise and the work. And you're limited to what you can do in a prison because you can't just keep working 
with prisoners all running around you, with the machines and the tools you've got, everything is... So in any eight-hour day, you're lucky to physically get through about four hours of work. In any eight-hour day, for, not for the work department wandering around doing the id bits. I'm talking about major things in prison. When you're building buildings and doing that, they go, you've got to stop. You can't do that until the prisoners have all gone to the workshops and we've got all the other prisoners secured. And, and you're listed as well. Well, yeah. all of these are prisoners. Yeah, for two and a half hours' time, they go, stop work. Why? Because all the prisoners are coming back now to come on the wing to get meals. You can't do anything over lunchtime. That can be two and a half hours lost. So then they'll say, okay, wait till the prisoners have all gone back to work, and that takes another 20 minutes. So you might not actually start something till 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you stop at 12, and then you've got to stop at 4, or quarter past 4, because they all got to come back. And all those tools have to be secured every single time you do that, locked away. I was going to say that, and, yeah. and with certain roles that they did, they'd be managing prisons as well, because they'd have trusted prisoners that could oh, very often. with them, yes. who would then be being, like they'd be learning skills whilst they're yeah. doing it, ready for um, going out, so yeah. trusted prisoners would be able Some to of those men I remember coming into prison were already skilled people as prisoners, mm -hmm. whatever reason they come in for, it might have been some of those stuff where they got a regular job, and they just got the small, what I call the low-level crimes bought into jail. Might have had a bit of a punch-up outside the pub or something like that. They'd come in. The first people you would employ yeah. would be those people because they've got the skills already, particularly in our kitchen because we used to butcher our own meat and make our own sausages. Yeah. Oh, I, I used to work up ADT as it used to be called, which is a, um, a, a big mass-producing place. Oh, okay. In the kitchen, lad. Well, we're going to talk about like prisoners down the line, so we get too much to that. But yeah. I think it was just, it's worth mentioning because I I see that side of it probably more than anything else. Because from owning a jail, I see obviously the condition it's in. I see all the happen things that happen as we're developing. I get to unpick all these bits, so I get to actually spend probably more time with the works department and what they used to do. And we find lovely bits of graffiti in different places that prisoners and the works department have sort of snuck in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you this. So get get towards the end. Which is the most important role or function within a prison? Which is the most important function? Role or function, yeah. Well, that is not an easy question. And not a closed one, I'd say. See how I'm learning? Everything's linked at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you take a look at it from a okay. uniform screen, they go, the most important thing for us is that prisoners are actually all in these prison cells at night time and nobody's running away. I was going to say, when you look at the four points from the first episode, yeah. in terms of like, well, if you talk about protecting the public, then you want to be talking about your officers' let, let security. Let me, let me rephrase so you might say to me, what's my prime, my prime thing, because that's the thing they'll pull me up on, yeah. are everybody where they should be, and are they all there at the end of the day, and are they all still there in the morning? They go, that's what they'll come to me, they won't go to you for that. No. Whereas from my point of view, it would have been... I would need that communication between various different departments because I could be signing my name to progress a prisoner, so therefore I want to know that the You might be signing your name to <laughs> Yeah, I want to be knowing that... Okay, let, me, let me ask it in a different way. Well, it's a different question. Which is the least important piece? Which piece could you go, we can get rid of that? None of it. Not in my experience. There may some that we see as less value, yeah. and if they didn't happen at that moment in time, it wouldn't be the end of the world. So there will be things in a prison that go, that's been missed, that's not the end of the world, we'll get to it later on, or we can scrub around it and do, but there are other jobs that have to be done right there at that place in time. So, but they're all there. I, 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 I don't believe the prison service for one second ever employs anybody that's not necessary. This is not a business that just employs people to give them a job. It isn't. And that's sometimes what, sometimes councils have been accused of that. And many public services are accused of employing people for no there's, particular there's, benefit. There's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. And I think that's probably where the confusion comes. I, I agree, you're, you're, you're almost certainly right that there are, because the budgets are so tight. There are the people that are employed that are needed. It's the bureaucracy of getting them to that role, the cost, the red tape you have to go through, which is probably excessive. And also, actually, have you got the right people in the right roles? But back to that point, my, my belief is, I think the reason why prisons fail, regardless of whose fault it is, is the culture. If you wandered around a prison today, pick any prison, you wandered around and you asked 10 staff, you 10 talk, random staff. You talk about the, the country's culture or the prison culture because they're well, they're said, they, they They should be the same. They should be exactly the yes. same. Because as we spoke about before, what happens in society is a reflection of what happens in jail. But if you go into any prison, anywhere in the country, you pick 10 random staff and you ask them, what is the mission or the vision of our prison system? You'll probably get some, uh, uh, what are you talking about? I've got no idea. And you'll get 
a number of different answers. You'll get 10 different answers. You'll Whereas if you walk into any really big, strong, well-built, branded business, and you ask the same question to 10 employees, you'll get the same answer. Yeah, probably not at 10 times you'll get that answer. Yeah. You'll always get the one that says, I'm just here for the money. Yeah, of course you will. Of course that, you will. But they still will understand. That's their, in, that's their individual. Which, by the way, folks, you know that I'm not here for the money. Yeah, yeah, that's their, that's their individual that's vision and mission. Yeah. But, the, but, the, but their overall picture... The organisational culture. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's a big difference between massive ones and small ones. In regards to whether it's a business or not a business, by and by, the bottom line is that the prison service is a huge organisation. Oh. Any huge organisation needs that hundreds of thousands to make it work. Yeah, exactly. purely for the that side remember the criminal justice system is massive oh, yeah. prisons alone eat up hundreds of thousands of staffing levels then yeah. i know the police do because we all forget we all think everybody stands in a uniform there's a massive team of civilians yeah. sitting behind police forces and then there's okay. good okay. Calls I'm thank you thank you very much um, thank you for listening. Do ask us any questions, send us your comments, any subjects you'd like us to speak about, anything you thought we got right, we thought we got wrong, any questions for these guys, do send them over. Um, join us for next week's episode where we're talking about prison sentences. We're going to talk about the different types of crimes, the different types of punishments you can get, the prison sentences and their limitations. No doubt we'll go off on a slight tangent. That's kind of what we do. Um, but until then, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Uh, and we'll, we'll see you on our next episode. Look forward to it. Thank you. You've been listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50 Mill Media.